The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm your hostess for today's episode. And we will have an interview today, but before I get into that, I want to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, give us a rating, a high rating. That would be great because then more and more people will find us. Also, we have a YouTube channel now. And a lot of the interviews that we're doing, like the one today, are video as well as audio. So please check us out on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and give us a thumbs up on the episodes that you watch. I also want to just give a little bit of a message. You know, this isn't going to go up until the beginning of May, this particular episode. And we're recording the last week in March. So we're right in the middle of the whole COVID-19 thing. And I want to just say that even though this COVID-19 pandemic is the talk of the town, it's, on, it's at the front of everybody's minds, it's the big deal, you know, it's going to go away. And we're still going to have an addiction epidemic in this country and in other countries. So even though everyone's attention is on the coronavirus, please also put attention on addiction. If you know someone who's addicted, get them into treatment. Get them into treatment now. If you yourself are addicted, get into treatment and do it now. So today we're going to be talking to a gentleman named Robert Imbolt. He is a successful entrepreneur and a childhood sexual abuse survivor. Straddling the line between poor and destitute, Robert was raised by a single mother in a failing steel town. He's gone from sleeping on the street to building startups and even meeting the queen. He's had an essay published in The Globe and Mail, those are British papers as far as I know, was profiled in Courage magazine for his work with the Cancer Foundation and was a recipient of the 2010 Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Award. Recently retired, Robert spends time writing, reading, and enjoying his family. We're going to talk to him today and get his story, but we're also going to talk about a book that he wrote called Before I Leave You. I don't want to give anything away. Let's talk to Robert Imbolt. So Rob Imbo, I am saying it correct, Imbo, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate your willingness to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know that sometimes, you know, the stories that um, you and my other interviewees share is not necessarily the most pleasant of stories, but I think that it helps people when they listen to hear the story and be able to, you know, have something that maybe rings true for them that they can then use to help themselves or help others. So that's why I think it's super valuable. Mm-hmm. So you have somewhat of a history of addiction. So how, tell me about your background. What, you know, how, what, what was the road that led you up to addiction? Um, I mean, I have to go way back. That's okay. Um, and before I, and when I do tell this story, I've, I've gotten into the habit. I had a great piece of advice from, from, from someone who told me to 
to tell my story kind of backwards, like to let, to remind people that A, I'm still here and I'm living my best life now with abundance of joy and just gratitude. So very, very happy right now. Um, and I, I say that just because some of the, the past is dark. So I like to just introduce because sometimes it's triggering uh, and, and I, as you well know, I'm, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I guess born in the 70s uh, in Montreal, uh, Canada, and uh, my mom left my dad. In a, it was an abusive relationship in, in the first year. Um, and she kind of kidnapped me is the, the way I would put it. Just kind of took off during the day. And in doing so, um, she wasn't able to get any child support. So it left us pretty poor for, you know, most of the childhood. And um, they say to use the word poor is when you miss meals. And we, we definitely missed meals and kind of survived on, on charity and, and uh, uh, family and friends for food at, at some of the darkest times. Um, and uh, mom uh, had a pretty good uh, hairstyle business that she started and, and uh, but unfortunately it didn't work out and she turned into alcohol so became an alcoholic and was just in the party phase I mean you know in in both of my parents defense they were very young <laughs> they're in their very very young 20s and you know when I think of myself in my 20s Anyways. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I can relate to that in my 20s. Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't have children back then. Yeah, right. Um, and so I was sort of kind of dragged around at those those party stages with with mom. And she did get remarried to, uh, you know, a nice guy, younger guy who was great with me, but they broke up. And um, she did end up, my mom hates when I put it this way, but brought home men during, you know, I guess the party stages. And uh, one of those men raped me. Uh -huh. um, and I, I'm, you know, I, we don't know who we've come, we've done the investigation that we just don't know who, but, um, um, and, you know, I was eight years old and I, I didn't remember it. I couldn't process it at the time. And I just, I covered everything up and I, I changed. I just went inside. Um, it's it's amazing when I was writing uh, writing the book. I guess we'll talk about um, uh, my. I have all of my um, report cards, and you know it went from bright, you know, you know, uh, taking part, energetic, just uh, and and fun to be with, I guess, and turned into daydreamer, doesn't participate, uh, withdrawn, and it's it's amazing to see the drop off, and, and you know. Um, and I, I guess they just chalked that up to being childhood at the time, but it's it's evident to see it now. So um, it's it, we could say it's date coincident with with your being raped, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, um, so and I knew, and so it it led to I think looking back now I know that it informed my behavior, it, it informed who I became, and those those days um, I, I was a troubled kid. Um, I was difficult to, I was just internal. I did not socialize. Um, in my teenage years, uh, I was becoming a bit violent. I was getting in trouble with the law, just stealing things and always getting caught because I was horrible at it. <laughs> and probably that was maybe a bit of a cry, you know, I may, may have wanted the attention. Um, uh, I did see my father twice a year, uh, Christmases and, and uh, uh uh, summers. Uh, I was living six hours away. And when I was 15, I was becoming too much of a handful for my mom. So she sent me to live with dad and it went from no rules to far too many rules. So 
that lasted about 18 months and then I was just sort of struck it out on my own on, on friends couches uh, and so forth um, uh, and through those years I well actually I'll continue mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'll run it through it really quickly but um, I just I just got a series of odd jobs um, when I was 19 I got in trouble with the law I got arrested for um, extortion I tried to extort a guy for cheating on his wife it was ridiculous there's a whole story <laughs> behind it that, uh, which I discuss in the in, in the book and I remember going to sentencing and I had just gotten uh, accepted to uh, Carleton University in, in, in Ottawa and the judge said this is your chance all right so you can either go and my lawyer just prepared me to go to jail for two years less a day that's what he said it's like that's probably your best He's like, I'll bring everything to it. And the judge just saw, he's like, I was doing well in school at that point. I just think I was, thinking, I was so <laughs> scared um, and I got accepted to these universities. So he just said, this is your chance. You know, if you mess up, it's on you and, and it's going to, it's going to come down much harder. Um, and so I, I took it and uh, I moved, moved to, to Ottawa and uh, fell in love with the city. Took a, School didn't work out. Um, but I got a lot of odd jobs. So I was working in cafes and retail and, and, um, though I was always good at the work, even at a young age, I would just bury myself in work. And my favorite job back then was working at Foot Locker. So, uh, uh, it was, I loved working with like the public because it was just sort of micro interactions, you know, no vulnerability, no, you know, no love. Um, and I was successful at it. Uh, I led the country in sales in a relatively small, smaller city. Um, and I wanted more and, uh, and, I, I decided to go to school. So I was working at a cafe from 5am to 9am footlocker from 9am to 6pm and busing across the, the city to go to school from 7pm to 10pm and just, just constantly, constantly working. And so you can realize how much time I had for relationships <laughs> uh very very so i did have relationships but they were awful and uh, just <laughs> and toxic and because of me you know not not through fault of their own it was all me um and i won a scholarship an essay scholarship through an essay contest i wrote an essay and i won a year scholarship to get a designation as a computer engineer and um i i took it seriously did really well got hired giving my whole life really, really quickly. And um, uh, I got hired as a teacher, did that for a year, and then I got hired as an engineer and in a very small company, pop, I mean, the entire staff was me. Um, and uh, we grew a little bit and then I took the company over. I just sort of met, went in massive credit card debt uh, thinking I could do better. Um, and uh, I did, I took it over and I grew it into a successful lifestyle business. Um, few years later, I took on a partner and we founded uh, a company that became really big, um, which is the, the company I retired from uh, two years ago. Um, and through all of those years, I knew something happened in that room. I didn't know what, and but I knew it was something wrong too. And mm -hmm. I like went in, in relationships with, 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 uh, with women, I, I just... I would, I'd suddenly like cry or freak out, you know, and, and either like just lying in, in bed or watching movies and stuff, I would just get triggered and I don't know why. And more often than not, like my longer term girlfriends were all like, we have to figure this out. You know, there, there's something going on and right. I refused and I didn't want to look, but, uh, and I, and I say all that just, just because I know that 
now that work was my addiction of the time. Um, I, 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 it was very much, I don't want to glamorize it. You know, I was successful, but I was horribly, horribly unhappy. Um, and in the early stages of building this big company, um, very successful, I had gotten married, you know, I had the cars and the house and all the, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just reading in bed and it, uh, the memory came back. Something triggered me that I was, something in the book that I was reading triggered me. And it went from a blurry photograph to a full length, high definition 4k movie. Wow. And, uh, and I, I remembered every single moment, the smell, the feeling, you know, uh, my reaction, what I did afterwards. Um, and it was catatonic for two days. And, uh, my wife at the time just didn't understand. Um, so that sent me the other way. Um, oh, I didn't mention, I, I, I didn't, didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I worked. You, you were know, a workaholic. I was a workaholic right. and I, I just, and I, I, I saw what, you know, alcohol did to my mom and, and, uh, and dad, and I just didn't want any part of it. So I was definitely anti, I was anti, even in my twenties, no weed, nothing. Like I just, I was a straight edge guy and I just, uh, was obsessed with the work. Uh, thinking, work hard, money, happiness, that's all, a, you know, an equivalent equation and clearly not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, when I, when I saw that, I just, I just wanted to die. Uh, and I left my wife who we tried to be amicable and, and uh, I, it, she wanted to try to, you know, <laughs> um, work it out. And I just, I just decided to die and I wanted to do it in the most leaving Las Vegas style ever. So uh, I wanted to spend all my money, you know, I did have some some attempts, but I wanted to just go out. And that's when I started to write my secret goodbye, um, which became this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that book is uh, Before I Leave You. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah I, I, yeah, I started to write just a secret goodbye to the people I love, kind of an explanation because nobody knew. Um, and, uh, I refused to go to therapy and in writing, I found solace. Um, I found therapy. So it was a way of being vulnerable without being vulnerable. Right. right. So like the, the, the pages knew my words and the words knew my feeling. And that's the extent of it. Right. Um, but so you I, turned I to alcohol and drugs as a reaction to remembering this. Is that what occurred? That's exactly what happened. So okay. I just started going out, um, you know, bought a like I left we sold everything I bought a penthouse downtown I got friends with the club owners I started going well actually I think it was two weeks after this happened I was invited to go to Las Vegas and I being not interested in partying I wasn't interested in going but um my uh, I introduced the groom uh, and bride and it was like a bachelor trip bachelor party and uh one of those nights out, uh, they they just knew how to do all this stuff. There's like bottle service and you're surrounded by all these beautiful women and all these drugs and all this alcohol. And uh, someone gave me ecstasy and uh, wow, <laughs> life is great. Life is actually awesome. I'm going to do this. And then the subsequent come down and hating yourself for doing it and which makes it even worse. And, then, and that just like it, it really started the whole downfall like i i wanted to instead of looking inward and instead of facing anything i just wanted to be drunk or high all the time right mm -hmm. and so how long what what well what other drugs did you do besides ecstasy 
Uh, cocaine and speed. Um, speed goes hand in hand with ecstasy. Um, sometimes you get tired and like <laughs> you, you, you want to party for more than one night in a row. You would just continue. Right. Um, and we would do three or four night bender, um, just more cocaine, just more speed. And, um, I didn't, I, I didn't like it, that cocaine that much because I found it sobered me up and I wanted to be high. Um, but uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> and for how long? Did this go on? Uh, it lasted about four years. Okay. Yeah, a little over four years. I'm I'm lucky in that um, when this became when this story became uh, a book, I had my my visa statements, <laughs> I had my Expedia account, and I had my social media. So I had this chronology of ridiculousness uh, that I was able to go. And I actually made a chart on where I went, what drugs I did, who I was with, and just sort of like, holy crap. <laughs> Right. So, so with your background, there's, um, like we call this podcast, the point of no return, because we like Mm -hmm. to focus on when it was that the person goes, Oh, you know, I have to change my life or, you know, I could die. You know, you've got several different momentous points, if you will, and you Mm -hmm. can, um, exactly pinpoint when you started to do drugs but what was the point that you reached where you realized that you had to stop? What was that point? You know, you know, like three years in, um, um, I had a girlfriend uh, that uh, that I met during it in my those party phases, and almost every weekend we just sort of looked at each other and just like we 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 have to stop. You know, this this has to stop. We have to get better and. There's, there's one point, um, I mean, these are several points. There is one kind of big point uh, that I talk about, but there's a lot of these, we have to stop, Rob. And, you know, glossy-eyed looking at this beautiful woman who I've drugged down into this drug den of, of my life. And she's like, I just want to be boring. And, and because, of course, on social media, we're living our best life, right? You know, we're going to Vegas, we're going to Bahamas, and we're just getting high and doing all this stuff. Um, and, and so it looked glamorous and, and it really, really wasn't It's kind right. of like anti-therapy. Um, and we, we talked about doing it and. You are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out. If you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, the addiction podcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N- ojai.org or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. 
Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Uh, we had broken up. I had decided that I was going to end my life, and um, I was, I'd become almost useless at work. I was very, you know, just growing ineffective over time. Uh, I thought I was hiding it well, but. <laughs> and you <laughs> still had your company. Well. This was still your company? Yeah, yeah. This okay. is the early stages. I had two partners. Um, um, and uh, yeah, uh, and so I thought I was hiding it, but clearly it was not. <laughs> right. Um, and I decided, I'm not sure what got me to do this. I just sort of like, I, I just, I just want a weekend to think. And um, I, I had always loved Thoreau. Um, my, my friend in high school gave me um, on civil disobedience and, and Walden and I fell in love with, with him and I decided to go for a drive and go see it and it's 17 hours away from where I live so I got in the car and uh, I went to visit my girlfriend whom I just broke up with and she said I want to come with you I'm like okay um, and uh we drove for six days and uh, no, no drugs, no alcohol, just whatever, uh, just, just the two of us. Um, we actually drove back to the apartment buildings where the rape occurred um, and it had been gentrified. Mm. So, you know, my ground zero had a Starbucks. Like it, it, was, it, <laughs> oh, was, wow. it was, it was, it was right there. And I was just sort of like, I was upset and happy and weirded out. Like at the same time, you know, it was just such a weird thing. And right. Um, I also spent some time outside living, living on the street when it was like a kind of a bush that I went to visit on that same trip. Um, but anyways, we ended up at Walden and I just loved it so much. It was like a summer day. Um, we managed to get in. I didn't know that it was such a popular destination, <laughs> um, but, uh, and we swam in, in the, in the pond and, uh, I just sort of just, I, I don't want to die. And I, I, it's one of the catalysts. I just sort of like, I'm, I'm going to try to get better. Um, and, and, and it's just, it was just for me. I'm like, I, I'm clearly not doing this. I had already spent all my money had nothing left. Um, uh, but it didn't push me because I thought I would just say, I would just get depressed because I had no money as well uh, to push me over the edge right so I'm right. burning my own bridge right. but it didn't and um, yeah so and then we started we started to heal and, and the healing is hard right it's it's one step forward four steps back one steps forward and if you're lucky only three steps back or you know seven steps back and but you keep got to take that one step forward now when you say that you mean that you would relapse and then maybe drink or do drugs? Yeah. Or... I mean, oh, okay. more often than not, it was, you know, the Mondays or Tuesdays, you're just hating life just because we are covering, um, especially if we're doing it, you know, two or three day bender. Right. Um, and trying to like eat again <laughs> and that sort of thing. But time, like uh, by the time Thursday comes around, there's always a reason and you're itching. And I mean, the context that I was living was my my friends like everyone that i knew were going out they're being social right. they're partying right. you know um so um uh, they were all there's always a reason there's always a birthday or a grand opening or reopening or what have you always <laughs> a reason always to a celebrate reason. yeah and then, yeah and then we couldn't 
go out. Well, I couldn't go out and have just one drink right? or, you know, just one pill <laughs> right. or I just, it, it's, we think about, you know, I think I can, but I'm just not one of those people because, <laughs> right. um, you know, so I'll just have one, we'll just chill out. And then all of a sudden I'm in the car driving to Montreal for the next three days. Right. Like it's yeah, like a 4am type thing. So uh, we would miss weekends. I say we, cause it's, you know, it was the two of us. We were just sort of like, yeah, let's just miss this weekend. Let's just go away this weekend, just chill out. And then, but then something would happen and we would go and uh, we had, we had to let go of most of those friendships. Right. Right. So how, what's your date when you, when you really became clean and sober or how long ago? <laughs> well, so we were, we were mostly clean and sober, mostly, um, by geez what is would it be i think october well i know the exact date we went zero tolerance and never looked back i don't know the date but it was the day that um my wife had got back from a trip and uh we, okay, we were so now you're married a... you married the girlfriend oh, sorry yes yeah okay no, yeah <laughs> I was we got married say, there was a wife oh. now there's a now there's <laughs> yeah. another wife okay good. The same, yeah okay. the same yeah this, this okay. one and the same we were broken up and uh, we had gone out and gotten high and I said okay f this um let's just get married and you know she said okay but we're going to live the boring life we're going to get rid of this condo we're going to um no more parties uh we're going to buy a house in suburbs um and and so we agreed to do that I was like that's awesome okay no more um we did all of that but we still we're partying here and then and less and less it went down to like once a month type thing but that once lasted a couple of days right um but uh and, yeah and fast forward i guess about less than a year and uh she found out that she was pregnant mm. and and so we just looked at each other and like all right zero tolerance there's this a wake-up call yeah there it is i'm like yeah. we it's no longer us yeah. right and we we never looked back i stopped drinking out of solidarity to my friends but i'm just like you know what no i'm just and i didn't have to get into the whole i'm not i'm not drinking i don't drink anymore i'm just like no it's you know you know she's not drinking i'm not drinking you know it's not really so i'm just gonna not and i never looked back right and and and, and now we have two ah <laughs> how old are your kids we have a three one's about to turn three and wow. uh, one is two months one is two months so Vivian okay, so, and you, Willow. Yeah. so you guys are three years clean and sober uh yeah a little bit more so okay. yeah so probably like three years little... nine months yeah exactly okay yeah i got it yeah yeah so you guys never went to rehab no no um i i didn't do formal rehab um and i definitely not advocating against it i only i wish i could have been that strong but and it's funny i've been asked that before and and i, I thought after the first time like i check up all the boxes um, uh, I did it much pain, I think more painfully, <laughs> right. um, but, uh, my wife and I went from each other's enablers to each other's cheerleaders. And so we were each other's sponsor. Um, uh, she introduced meditation to me and that turned into a Buddhist practice. I'm, I'm very much uh, a practicing Buddhist, uh, and, uh, meditate every day. Um, and, uh, and I do, did surrender to that greater, you know, greater being or, or right. you know, greater sense of self. Um, and, uh, and, and I liked it just because the framework, it was a framework for, for ethics. It's a framework for fatherhood. Right. <laughs> it's a framework for husbandhood. And it's just, it just sort of changed my life. 
And I even went as far as, you know, reaching out to people who I had ostracized, people I loved that I just really screwed over um, and reconnected. And they've all been positive and they've all been, you know, um, supportive. So I've done the steps essentially. And, and my purpose is always, is, is, you know, my wife and my girls. So <laughs> I, there's no, there's no temptation. <laughs> right. You know, when I asked you if you didn't done rehab, it was purely to just kind of uh, put that into context in terms of your story. You're not the only person that we have interviewed that didn't go through rehab. And I, I personally knew someone who had a fairly extensive drug history and didn't go through rehab. It's whatever will help you stay clean and sober. Mm -hmm. And if that needs to be treatment, fair enough. But if it doesn't mm -hmm. and you are, I know you know this, extremely fortunate to have the wife that you have, that mm -hmm. you guys could be each other's mentor and each other's sponsor and each other's um, just terminal, if you will, to get to get through this. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it, it's kind of tough because I think that pretty much anybody could do it the way you guys did it. And yet some people need the treatment and maybe it's just because they don't have someone like you had your wife and your wife had you. I don't know. Right. I'm well, not sure and, I made any sense with what I just said whatsoever. No, no but, it makes okay. perfect sense. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm also fortunate in that we had uh, the, the, the point of no return. We, we had our daughter, right? You know, we had, we had pregnancy. Right. So that changes. That's our, that's our get out of jail free card. Yeah. Right. I'm like, yep. well, we're going to go party this weekend. I'm sorry. No, we're pregnant. We're not doing that anymore. And let the friends, quote unquote, friends fall by the wayside and the gems stay. Right. The good people stay. Yeah. So um, so it was really, really fortunate, you know, in not only having an amazing daughter. Right. Um, but she's turned into purpose, which is something that we all need. Yep. We all need for longevity. We all need for physiology but and, and, and spirituality. But it turned into something more than that, which is. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I, I love your story. And I love the fact that you and your wife really turned towards spirituality to, you know, rise above the physical cravings or the need to party. And I think that that's, that's huge. And while I don't disagree with 12 step programs, I think to a large degree, that's what they're trying to do. Unfortunately, I think that spirituality takes a different path for different people. And my path is different than yours. And unfortunately, I think sometimes that the 12-step program tries to just teach one path and one path only right. that doesn't always work. The young man who was co-hosting this podcast with me was raised Jewish. And so when he was put into a 12-step program, it wasn't something he could relate to in terms of his own spirituality. Mm. And I think that spirituality can be different for every single person and but if you embrace it i think you're going to maybe take yeah. a, a different look at, at abusing alcohol or drugs i think right no I, I think it has to be i think spirituality is unique even within the same faith yep. you know we we see that yep. <laughs> you know we see that with all all faiths um so yeah, but I thought I I thought there was a secular twelve step, or is that is that completely separate? I honestly I know, I know, don't I, I know, know the steps are very God God God. Yeah, um, my understanding of twelve step is that it's 
fairly Christian based. Now, people may disagree mm -hmm. with me when we post this podcast, but that's been my understanding because right. part of the fundamental of the 12 steps, I believe, is a very strong belief in God. And God is different to different people. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and sometimes people don't agree with that, but right. that's that's the truth. And so I guess it, it would have to be the membership, right? The the, the group yeah. that you're like the specific, because if there are pressures there, that's where those, you know, I guess judgments come into play. Because I read uh, Russell Brand's book, and he's you know <laughs> he treats God as or whatever you want this to say. It's, it's just giving yourself up to something greater than yourself. Uh, uh, um, so that that would be tough to sit in a room with where everyone else is going. I'm also going to church, and this is the you know the parish that we go to, and 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 you're sitting there going, well, I just not, not yeah, it, just because you're trying to get sober at the same time and to you know re redefine the same term, which constantly comes up, must be would be really challenging. Exactly. What I do think is very. Uh, valid about the 12 step programs is there is a structure there. There are the 12 steps and also there's a support group. Do you know? Mm, yeah. Like I say, you yeah. and your wife could support each other, but I think it's, it's difficult when someone has no sort of support group or the people that they think are their support group are really the enablers. Mm, yeah. And then it becomes hard. So tell us about your, how people can get your book. Where's your book available? Um, oh, so it's on, I guess the major retail is online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much there. <laughs> but you have more than one or just uh, the no, one? Just, just the one. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. And um, it's called Before I Leave You. And yeah. the author is Robert Imbo, and that is spelled I-M-B-E-A-U-L-T. And you can get it on Amazon. And before we leave, I always ask the people that I interview, well, two things. We already talked about the point of no return. We covered that. Mm -hmm. But I kind of like to ask if you had one message to give to our listeners. I think that our listeners are, some are loved ones of people who are addicted. And mm -hmm. I think some are addicted. And I think some are recovered. And yeah, just what message would you want to give them? Um, that yeah, it's a good, it's an important point. Actually, the, the book I, I hope can help the people who are suffering and can help loved ones who fear <laughs> that, that they have loved ones that are, are suffering. Um, my the greatest piece of advice I've, I've ever gotten um, is to to love yourself as you would the person you love most. So if I think of my daughter and and she's you know, she spills some milk in the kitchen and, uh, or she drops a glass. I'm like, okay, are you okay? You know, okay, let's make sure, don't move. We're going to pick you up. Okay, uh, you're safe. You're good. I love you. I'll pick this up. If I drop some, a glass of milk, oh, you have an idiot. What are you doing? You're so stupid. Like, what? Why, why would I treat myself? Why would that inner dialogue happen? I, I, you should, I should be, and I, I practice this as much as I can, um, catch myself when I do, is, is approach, you know, uh, myself with compassion. And just now in, in, in a greater context, you know, I hated who I had become because mm -hmm. of the addiction, right? You know, it, even though the addiction comes back from a trauma, which may not been, which wasn't my fault, um, I, I ostracized my, my, myself. I hated myself for what I'd become. And I was like, oh, man. So uh, 
that's that's one of my greatest uh, I think pieces of advice that I've ever received. I think that's a great piece of advice. I mean, however it's said, you have to love yourself first and foremost. Yeah, and that's that's the most important thing. Rob, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for spending the time with us today and telling your story. And you know, you have had a lot to confront in your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and you've come through it Mm -hmm. and you're out the other side and, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well done you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. I'm glad we connected. (laughs) Yes, I'm uh, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got something out of the interview with Robert Imbo, Rob Imbo. Um, Not a pleasant story in the beginning, but one which is very pleasant now. And he's doing super well now. And I, I love his story. I love the fact that he's, you know, doing well with his kids and his wife and everything. And so if that gives you who's listening a glimmer of hope that, um, you know, sobriety is possible, you can achieve it, you can get there, then we've done our job today. We'll be back again next week. Um, Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes up, the whole COVID-19 thing will be majorly gone. If not, stay safe, stay healthy. A reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And thank you for being with us. We will talk to you again next week. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.